Welcome back to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Today, Lily has some interesting but somewhat disgusting information to share on how dolphins get to know each other. She's also got some up-to-date news on some dolphins that were stuck along the coast of Newfoundland due to ice and some very sad news about Kiska, the killer whale that spent the last 47 years of her life at Marineland in Southern Ontario. I'm going to introduce you to Jill Wheatley. She has 30% of her remaining vision after being hit in the head with a line drive baseball. But you know what? It's not stopping her. She's out there climbing the 14 tallest mountains in the world. These are all mountains that are over 8,000 meters above sea level. Wow. I've got some more tips to share on staying safe on ice now that things have begun to thaw out out there. But there's still lots of ice. And it's a nice time to be out there when the sun is shining and it's above zero. And you've got a couple feet of ice underneath you. And I've got a reflection to share on the responsibility that goes along with keeping fish in aquariums. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily. Did you know? Lily, I heard you have some uh, interesting news to share about dolphins. Oh yeah. This concerns bottlenose dolphins' signature whistles. They just passed an important test in animal psychology. A new study reports that these animals use their whistles as name-like concepts. Basically, within the few months of a life, dolphins invent their own specific identity calls. That's amazing. They actually make up their own names using whistles. Each dolphin makes up their own, and they have it for the rest of their life. They often announce their location or greet other individuals in a pod by sending out their own signature whistles, but researchers were never sure that when a dolphin hears the signature whistle of another dolphin, they can actually, you know, picture in their mind who's calling. So scientists, they then set out to determine if dolphin calls are representational in the same way a human name spoken invokes thoughts of an individual in our minds. Well, for sure. I mean, if a dolphin hears a whistle over and over again, it might just think that's a familiar whistle, but it might not identify it to an actual individual member of the uh, pod, right? So the first thing scientists needed to do was find another sense that dolphins use to identify each other. In the 1980s and 90s, researchers studying spinner dolphins in Hawaii noticed that the dolphins were occasionally swimming through each other's urine and feces with their mouths open. That's disgusting. Using these observations as a springboard, scientists decided to test if dolphins were able to identify each other from urine. Well, that's a public pool trick you don't want to be trying for sure. It's like Benji and Lewis. so (laughs) Dogs, yes, dogs. Oh my god. (laughs) Scientists began by collecting urine from dolphins. Oh my god, I feel so bad for the interns that had to do that. Oh yeah. Dolphins under managed care. Then they simply poured small amounts of it into a lagoons where the dolphins lived. The dolphins immediately showed interest. Well, maybe it had less to do about identifying their friends and more to do with just plain curiosity, like dogs, Mm -hmm. right? They always want to stop at the corners and smell everything. Yeah. Scientists, they then took urine from dolphins at other facilities to see if the subjects could differentiate between familiar and unfamiliar urine. The dolphins spent more than twice the amount of time with their mouths open tasting familiar urine compared to unfamiliar urine, providing the first evidence that dolphins can identify other individuals by taste. Wow. Yeah. 
This is really fun. I love talking about this. (laughs) The researchers then paired urine samples with the sounds of signature whistles played by an underwater speaker. Researchers first led a dolphin to a speaker before pouring a small amount of urine into the water. After the dolphin tasted the urine, researchers quickly played the sound of another dolphin's signature whistles. Uh, Researchers found that, on average, when the urine and whistle matched... Dolphins spent about 30 seconds investigating the speaker. When there was a mismatch, they only stuck around for about 20 seconds. What makes dolphins different from other animals is that they aren't just matching physical qualities, like, you know, face with a smell, for example. They're doing this with signature whistles they invent themselves. Huh. Lily, there was some dolphins in the news recently in Newfoundland. Residents of a Newfoundland community called Heart's Delight, that's a great name. I know, eh? Um, they, they braved freezing waters to rescue a pod of about a dozen dolphins that became stranded in sea ice along the coastline. Wow. Yeah, within a couple of hours after the dolphins were spotted, rescue efforts had started. People who gathered to help said it was a heartbreaking to see the animals struggle and failed to get free because of sharp rocks along the coastline. Aww. Three of the dolphins died before the rest could be moved to open water. It took an excavator and people using large sleds to hold back the ice and move the remaining dolphins to safety. Well, and everyone just chipped in and got it done and saved the other nine dolphins. That's amazing. Lily, I also understand you have some sad news about Kiska. Oh my gosh, Yeah. So she died at age 51 from some sort of bacterial infection. Now, just so people know, Kiska is the killer whale that spent the last like 47 years at Marineland in southern Ontario. But I think she was captured at age three and moved to Marineland where she lived for the next 47 years. Yeah, for the past 12 years, she was kept in an enclosure by herself. And earlier in her life, she had five different babies, but none of the babies lived. Oh. Well, we heard from Lori Marino, who we had on the podcast a few episodes ago, and uh, she appreciated our words of uh, condolence. And there's still the the beluga whales from Marineland that they need to rescue, and they need a place to stay. Yeah. Thanks, Lily. Outdoor Adventures. And we've got Jill Wheatley online with us here on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Jill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's nice to be uh, joining you from Nepal to, I believe you're in the nation's capital, correct? I am, and you're in Kathmandu, man. That's like everyone's dream place to visit. That's so cool. (laughs) To visit, yes, but I call it home now, so I feel like I have a bit of a different perspective than the average tourist. I'm originally from Thunder Bay, so I did an undergraduate degree at Laurier in Waterloo, and then I did a teaching degree at Lakehead back in Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. And then I did a master's degree in um, education administration from the University of Western Australia. When did you start your running career? Actually, running really started when I was cross training for skiing as, you know, even in my adolescence, uh, off season would be, um, you know, a mix of dry land training and running. And at that time, I actually did not enjoy it. Um, Mm. I did it because I felt I had to, you know, it was going to benefit me on the ski hill, which it did, but it wasn't really until um, my early twenties when I really started to actually enjoy it. Um, And it, I guess, almost became somewhat of, I wouldn't say an addiction, but just 
part of my every day. And when did the accident happen? And talk to us a little bit about that. I was working as a health and sports science teacher in Bavaria. So I was teaching 10th grade at the time of the accident. And that was in September, 2014. You lost a lot of eyesight and, I did. and a traumatic brain injury. You got a baseball to the head, I understand. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things I say, if I ever write a book, it could be called, you know, you can't make this up. Yeah. because um, I was hit in the side of the head. So on the right side of my head, basically like a line drives. But at that moment of impact, my right eye closed. And I knew that there was something, something seriously wrong. Um, Lawrence, like the, the, the pain and I was taken to hospital and told <laughs> that I had a black eye, but I was sent home. Like I answered the questions, you know, the concussion questions, you know, there was no one checking on me until a day and a half later when my friend came, he saw me and he brought me right back to that hospital. Um, and they put me in an ambulance and rushed me to a neurotrauma hospital where essentially I spent the next four months in on the neuro intensive care unit. Um, and the next 26 months, uh, so two years and two months in between that and seven different healthcare hospitals um, across three countries. Wow. And that right eye that closed or the, or what they call the black eye has actually never reopened. So when you say your eye was closed, the, the eyelid was closed on the right eye? Basically just, you can just say I'm paralyzed sort of around oh. my eye. So, and then the left eye, when did that get uh, deteriorate when the eyesight and the left eye deteriorate? It all happened at the same time. The lid hangs lower than most. So I basically can't lift it above the horizon. So it's like that bottom half of the left eye that I can see out of. 50% uh, is gone on the right side. And then basically the top half of the um, of the left. So like 75% is gone total. It's like 25 to 30, just coming from the bottom of my left. Just the, the bottom half of your left eye is... Yeah. is yeah. Because our eyes work together to create depth perception, I don't have that. You got back into the running and now <laughs> you're, you've set a goal of climbing the 14 tallest mountains over 8,000 feet above sea level. 8,000 meters. 8,000 meters? <laughs> Holy what? <laughs> yeah. Holy so God. it was, I was just acclimatizing last week. So I'm getting ready for my seventh 8,000er. And that is called Annapurna One. It's 8,091 meters. So last week, um, I was on Mira Peak, a smaller peak. It's just 6,600, but that's still a thousand meters higher than the highest point in Canada. Wow. <laughs> and just, just doing that to get used to the lower amount of oxygen in the air at altitude. Yeah. So later this week, in a couple of days, I'll head to Annapurna and my body will be a little bit uh, you know, more familiar with the lack of oxygen. I'm back here in Kathmandu. I'm at 1200 meters, like easy, easy, nor sort of normal now. Uh, yeah. But my body is is now familiar with a little bit less oxygen availability. Like a Sherpa, yeah, so like a Sherpa. Yeah, it, well, exactly. And so all of my friends, the people I'm climbing with are in fact Sherpa. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you got, this is your eighth one out of the 14. So what do you have left on the list? 
Okay. Well, actually, so my goal was when I decided to do the project, it would be seven last year and seven this year. However, awesome. last year, the seventh one, uh, which is called Nanga Parbat in Pakistan, uh, it's um, it was my last one in August. And we had three major avalanches where it just got too risky. Uh, monsoon came a little bit earlier and more intense than it has oh, yeah. in recent history. So I didn't summit that one. However, I did summit um, the previous six absolutely seamlessly i'm mean, uh, generally seamless in one year so now, <laughs> in one year <laughs> yeah yeah so now i head to annapurna and then after that i go to everest and lotse so everest and lotse are side by side i can actually do them within you know summiting within hopefully 24 hours of each other my goodness um, well you can just jump from one peak to the other <laughs> Oh, you just go down a little bit <laughs> to the last camp, have a little rest and go up again. Oh my goodness. And, and then I return to Pakistan and that will, um, I will go back to Nanga Parbat and, and hope for better weather and safer conditions yeah. and Gastrobrum 1 and Gastrobrum 2, um, follow that. And then I come back to Nepal and depending on the situation with China, well, Tibet, uh, Tibet specifically, um, because of since COVID and, um, lockdowns they've never re sit they, they haven't yet to open for tourism you know there's people going back to work there etc but uh in terms of mountaineering permits they've yet to issue them so my hope is that over the next few months that will settle itself out and i'll be able to finish my project called vision 8000 um with shisha pangma and choyu um in in august and september Wow. That's, that's so, I don't, has anyone done this? Like the, all these mountains in this short a period of time, like you're um, there's one person that has actually done it in six months, like tried to set a record. Uh, there's a movie called 14 peaks. Um, and now there's another woman trying to break that record. Um, but in fact, with all of the, all of the 14 peaks above 8,000 meters, there's been some controversy in the last um, decade or so where, there's been a number of false summits. So though it mm. appears like you're at the top, you're not actually, there's another, there's another spot that sort of is with that, with uh, not, oh within, my goodness. not within sight. So there's in fact, I think only four people that have ever completed every true summit. So um, I will definitely, once I'm finished, it, it's, it's a very, very small number. And, you know, being, being female is another, I mean, just saying there, there's even fewer and yeah. then um, the visual impairment, which I, I, I don't even like to, to think like, you know, there's, I'm, I'm definitely not here to set records. And I just hope that by completing my project, um, you know, by sticking to my mission, my, my values and um, people, if they hear my story or know that I went from literally like the darkest crevasse, like mm. I didn't want to see another day to now standing atop of the world's 14 highest peaks with only 30% vision or less that other people will be able to consider, you know, what is, you know, what really is challenging, but also, you know, just, I, I'd like to be able to shine light on the power of perspective and possibility. It's really it mind over matter, really, you're, you're really taking this whole idea of, you know, that a good healthy approach, a mental health, you know, positive energy, positive thoughts, you know, setting goals, 
I was watching the Oscars last night and all those actors said the same thing, you know, don't give up your dreams. Just keep with your dreams. Don't let anyone, you know, stop you from achieving your dreams. It was amazing. And, you know, all these really diverse actors were, 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 realizing those dreams and here you are a Canadian well, what I think it, you know, doing what I think it. I've really learned in the last year or so Lawrence is that you know this is my choice yeah I had you know life turn out in a way that no one could have ever predicted I could have never prepared myself for this at first I chose a perspective you know the darkness and the the anger the aggression the depression mm. but it's that's up to me it's my choice how I respond so choosing, you know, it's my choice to put myself in this new difficult or these new different challenges. And so when things get tough on the mountain, you know, I have a really high bar after my traumatic brain injury. I went through a lot of pain, a lot of uh, a lot of challenges that were not my choice, but now it is my choice. So, you know, when the storms are, are tough or, um, you know, the altitude feels like it's it's a little bit much. I just remember like, this is a choice I'm choosing to be here. And I'm so thankful that I mm. have that option. Are you, are you climbing with a, a, a sighted guide? Are you using any sighted yeah. guide techniques or? Um, no, my, I'm, I'm using the same um, equivalent uh, qualified guide as anyone else. Yeah. None of my, um, the guides that I have used before have had any training with other visually impaired athletes or adventurers. So I just, um, you know, I really, um, well, one, I'm thankful, but also just with respect to communication and trying to have other people, I definitely do not ever, ever, ever want sympathy, but just empathy. Like when there's yeah. uh, try to, to communicate in such a way that let them know where I need their help. Like the depth perception makes the descending on these, especially the technical climbs a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm solid going up, but but uh, after getting to above 8,000 meters, the body is fighting to stay alive for one, but also, you know, so exhausted. But for me, that second half, you know, there's a whole lot more than just half. on Coming the down, I, I know, like, I've had a very limited amount of going up and down mountains. And, and, you know, as a blind person, when you're coming down, you don't know that next step. Is it like a foot down? Exactly. Is it two feet? Or is it 10 oh. feet? See, you know, that, I just love hearing you say that. It's like, yes, he gets it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That's why, like, I, I, I use it, you know, I have my dog just on the leash in one hand and I have a hiking pole. And that's when I, I hand the end of my hiking pole to the person in front of me and mm. I can feel them going up and down. Right. right. So I feel them yeah. going down, climbing down. And then I realize, okay, this is going to get technical. I got to scoot down on my hands and feet kind of thing. Yeah. Get low this is going to be a big, uh, a big giant step kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, but you, so you, you really have to sort of feel your way along, I guess. I do a lot with my hands. Yes. Yeah. Are you using and poles? Yeah, I am using poles almost all of the time. The average um, mountaineer in, in these 8,000 meter peaks often uses one, but uh, for me, I always have two. Like from the time I leave my door here in Kathmandu, there's always two. Uh, and I'm very thankful Lakey uh, makes some really solid poles. Um, so they provided me with uh, like four different pair, you know, depending on the terrain, if there's snow, if there's ice. Um so yeah, especially again on the descent, those are, are they white? Are they white poles? They are not. And, you know, <laughs> I often make a joke. Well, 
I make a joke with friends. I, I try to always make sort of light of, yeah. of my situation. But the fact that when I was leaving that last hospital in Colorado and one of the therapists said, you know, you, you can leave here with a white cane. And now I'm climbing 8,000 meter peaks without, you know, I'm using an ice axe. <laughs> <laughs> and and non-white poles, just regular hiking exactly. poles. Yeah. I, I remember this fishing company came out with these white fishing, a whole line of white fishing rods. And I don't know how many people came up to me and said, Lords, you should be using those fishing rods. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, I'm fine with what I got. Thank you. <laughs> Must laugh. Yeah. <laughs> oh so no, no special techniques, no accommodation in terms of that just just a little more time coming down i guess it just yep. takes you a little longer to get down yeah yeah and and do yep. people rush ahead i know people love to come down fast right they just want yes, to get yes, down and they, right. a lot of them run and jumping and leaping yes and, oh. yes and i have um Lawrence, I have a really hard time with that because I think because I was so athletic and efficient and running and racing on trails before yeah. Yeah. that, that, you know, that is, and I, you know, the air quotes mount the mountains of my mind. Like I need to oh, let that no. go. Like those I people know. should be faster than me. You know, yeah. they have perfect eyesight, but it still um, makes you, it's it still makes you feel like you're the least weakest member of the team when you're just definitely. struggling coming down. Yes. You know? yeah. But you just got to yeah. get, do your own thing. You just got to get in your yeah. head and do your own thing. And, yeah. and yeah. you're still running though. You were doing a lot of running up until you started this, uh, this mountain quest, uh, this, uh, you know, you did, a, I mean, looking at your website, You've been doing a lot of running. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I wanted to get back to. I mean, after, after the 26 months in hospital, I thought I would travel in mountains one to be away from society. I didn't want the stairs or, oh. um, you know, feel getting drawn back yeah. to the shirts, what I should look like or what I should be doing. I just wanted some time alone with mother nature one year, 13 different massifs around the globe. And that's when I, um, you know, went from, from walking to hiking to running again and running in the mountains and then being convinced to run a race and uh and in the himalayas and that's where i really fell in love with the mountains um and the altitude and just got intrigued by that and then slowly over the last five years um took that that intrigue a little bit higher and uh yeah now over a year of climbing the world's highest peaks <laughs> you're on the verge of becoming our most amazing mountaineer oh my goodness so how can people follow you on the uh, on on socials like where can they find uh, you well my my website is called mountains of my mind i do my best to keep it as updated as i can um yeah. but that said when i am in the mountains it's hard to keep up <laughs> yeah um but socials, I tried my best, uh, you know, when I was able to shift my perspective to a point where I could see, okay, yes, I see the benefit of Instagram, for example, inviting people into what a day looks like, the challenges that I face, but also the celebrations and how, you know, how I can help people. So I try to stay pretty active on Instagram and that is mountains of my mind, but a short form because they don't let me use all those characters. It's MTNS of my mind okay and of my mind and same thing um there's a facebook page called mountains of my mind uh same, there's twitter and youtube form. youtube is jill wheatley okay. um but yeah 
yeah, I try to stay as active as I can in, in hopes that I can help and connect with others. And I encourage people to please reach out if there's any way I could add a little bit of light to anyone's days. Um, I would love to be able to know that I could do that. Outdoor tips and tech. Great Lake ice levels are the lowest they've been in 47 years since they started taking records. Only 7% of the Great Lakes were frozen at the coldest part of the winter this year. But there's lots of lakes that do have ice. Like around here, we were on a lake the other day that had 50 centimeters of ice, or about 20 inches. You're not going to fall through that kind of ice, but you could step through ice fishing holes. And these holes come in different sizes. Six inches, that's much harder to step through a six inch hole unless you're a small child. Eight inches, not impossible. 10 inch wide holes, absolutely your foot can slide into that hole and you next thing you know, you're all the way down with one leg hanging below the ice. So be careful, bring a stick with you and use it when you're walking around out there on the ice when you're ice fishing with your friends. Bring a small chair, set it up so that you can position yourself so the tip of your fishing rod is exactly over the middle of the hole and you don't have to worry about your line getting frozen to the side of the ice fishing hole. I don't often say, sit down, blind person, but this is one occasion when I do. Reflections. You know, keeping fish in an aquarium is a privilege, not a right. You've got to make sure you're taking care of all the needs of those fish, that they can live fully stress-free lives where they can actually do things that fish like to do. Hide, hunt, play, swim about, forage, rest, all of those things. You need to make sure their environment is a fully immersive environment. You can grow weeds in aquariums. You can create their own oxygen. You can set up a whole ecosystem in aquarium. Fish like that. They'll live a long time in that sort of space and they'll live stress-free. Remember, if they're not healthy, your enjoyment that you get from your fish won't be very rewarding. It's a one health situation. You take care of them and they'll take care of you. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, the manager of AMI-audio, Zandy Frank. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.